Guys, as you know, we're in a series called The God I Never Knew. We are studying about the Holy Spirit, and we're in today part six in our series. Last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is for you, that, that we believe the Holy Spirit is for each of us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for each of us. Two weeks ago, we saw two experiences one spirit, that, that the Holy Spirit comes on us at salvation, that he comes to live in us, but there is a separate experience known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit that, that we can choose to partake in, and I believe that is so beneficial for us. Um, here's where we're going as we finish this series, unless God just takes it somewhere unexpected. So the plan right now is that next week we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, the week after that, November the 28th, we're going to tentatively finish the series uh, with some Holy Spirit Q&A. Um, we're just going to open up for if you've got questions on the Holy Spirit, the questions on stuff that we've taught that maybe wasn't clarified, uh, questions on something that we didn't get into, that we didn't discuss, maybe questions on something you've seen or experienced somewhere else, uh, man, you are welcome to start submitting those questions, uh, and those will, will be answered two weeks from today. So we're going to do Holy Spirit Q&A. So you can submit those a number of ways. The easiest way to do it probably is just to text it in to our church cell phone, which is 662-404-2489. You're, you're welcome to do that. Uh, you can email us, info at citychurchob.com. Um, you can message me if you've got my number, etc. Like a lot of different ways you can get those in. But however you want to submit those questions, get those submitted, and we're going to unpack those two weeks from today. Now, I say tentatively because depending on what God does over the, couple, the next couple of weeks, there may be something else we've decided, hey, we need to address or we need to build on this or teach on this. So we might go a little bit longer. The plan right now is to have a three-week Christmas message starting the first Sunday of December. Uh, but if we need to eat into our Christmas series, we'll eat into our Christmas series because this series is, is so foundational and so important. Um, today, I want to talk to you about maybe the most controversial piece of all of this, uh, maybe the most confusing piece of all of this. In fact, I think this topic is probably the one that has the most confusion centering around it, possibly in the whole Bible. Like this and the end times, I think, are probably the top two, and that is tongues. We're going to talk today about tongues. Everybody say, talk about tongues. We're going to talk some tongues. In fact, we're going to title the message today, Tongues, Don't Get It Twisted. All right? Uh, and what we're going to do in part six is we're going to do some myth busting. We're going to address four myths and actually even a couple sub-myths, so really it's five, but things that, that are myths about tongues. We're going to see what the Word of God has to say on this very confusing, yet I believe important topic. Uh, the first myth is this is that the gift of tongues died with the apostles. This is a, a belief called cessationism, and we addressed this very, very briefly last week, but we're going to dig into it more, and I want to just give it the same preface I did last week. There are some awesome people who believe this. There are some incredible people who have been used by God in amazing ways. Believing this does not mean you're less of a Christian. It doesn't mean that God isn't using you. It just means in this case... I think you're wrong. Um, I don't think this is what the Bible teaches. And so this isn't one of those things where we're trying to like us and them, right? We're better and they don't have the, that's not it. We just want to address what does the Bible say 
about this topic. And so uh, the, the myth is, the teaching is that the gift of tongues died with the apostles. In fact, I did some studying this week on this idea of cessationism because I didn't want to get up here and teach something inaccurately, right? I, I don't want to build a straw man. I don't want to misrepresent what people teach. So what are, what are the reasons why people believe in cessation? And there's one verse we're going to look at that, that's really kind of foundational for them. Uh, but the argument centers on essentially an appeal to history, that, that, hey, we don't see in the early church, there's not record of tongues. And when they, it's not just tongues, by the way, when they do cessation. They, they talk about the miraculous gifts. So depending on what they define as the miraculous gifts, they're going to lump all of those in there. So specifically healing, specifically tongues. Um, they may include prophecy. It just depends. Some include prophecy. Some redefine prophecy. Uh, so some redefine prophecy is what I'm doing right now. That preaching is prophecy. Um, and I'm grateful for the chance to preach, but I don't believe this is specifically prophecy. Specifically, prophecy isn't necessarily foretelling future events. What it is is it's declaring something that you can't know except by the revelation of the Spirit of God. Right? So certainly at times when you preach, there is revelation that comes out and there, there can be prophecy included in preaching, but the majority of preaching is opening the word of God and teaching it. And that's not something that necessarily you can't do uh, apart from a divine revelation. So I believe prophecy is, is, would be included in that if you were just saying, hey, the miraculous gifts have ended. Um, so they think that the early church doesn't have a record of these things being used after the era of the apostles. Uh, and so they say that, hey, the, these apostles were raised up to, to build the church, and they needed the, these miraculous gifts for, for credibility, that this proved that God was doing something. And so when they died, these miraculous supernatural gifts died with them. I believe that that's a myth, and I'll show you why in just a minute. Um, but let's give the truth. The truth, I believe, is this, is that the gift of tongues will die, but not until we get to eternity. So they are correct that tongues will die, that this will not last forever, uh, but they are incorrect that we are in the season now where it is not active. 1 Corinthians 13, what's happening, we're, we're going to talk a lot today of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. In fact, we're going to spend most of our time today in 13 and 14, especially 14. Next week, we're going to get to 12. But these three chapters are, are really foundational on these topics. What happens in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual gifts, uh, talks about the church is a body, and that each member of the body has something to contribute. So somebody's an eye, somebody's a mouth, somebody's an ear, somebody's an armpit, right? Like all of us have a part to play in the body of Christ, and each part is necessary. Uh, to the body of Christ, and so that each of us brings something different and unique to the table. In other words, if, if God made everyone to be worship leaders, man, we'd have some incredible worship, but we'd have nobody teaching our kids, right? We, we'd have some awesome worship, but who would be out doing outreach and evangelism? And so like I've told you many times before, if there's anything in the world I could do, I would have been a worship leader, right? Like that was number one on my list of desires, but God did not give me musical ability. Uh, instead, he blessed me with a church that has incredible musical ability, man, that is so deep and so talented, and I'm so grateful for that. But God said, no, you're not going to be a worship leader. If I led worship, nobody would come to church here, uh, right? It would be me having an amazing time with God 
and no one else. Uh, So God did not give me that gift. And in the same way, God places different gifts in different people for a reason. He didn't design for us all to be the same. It's the beauty of diversity, right? And so 1 Corinthians 12 covers that. And then 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's going to talk about two gifts specifically. And the difference between them, he's going to talk about tongues and prophecy. And he's going to distinguish between the two. Today we're going to talk mostly about tongues. We'll get into prophecy some next week. But in between, Paul pauses his discussion of spiritual gifts. And he says, wait, you need to understand this. There's something more important than spiritual gifts. And it's love, right? 1 Corinthians 13 is this famous, beautiful chapter on love. You've heard it preached at weddings. You've seen it mounted on someone's bathroom, right? You're peeing, and there it is. All these beautiful verses about love. Uh, it's, it's famous for a reason. What's Paul essentially saying? He's saying that the fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts matter. The gifts are important, but if we don't have the fruit, what's the fruit? It's the evidence, that God's at work. God's proof that he's at work in my life is not the gifts that I flow in, it's the fruit that I bear. So if I'm not bearing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that means that my relationship with the Holy Spirit is not vibrant, it is not alive, it is not real. And so I can flow in any kind of spiritual gift that God's given me, but God says it's insignificant. In fact, Paul says that, that, that if I have the gifts of tongue of men and angels but I have not love that it's it's nothing it's like a a clanging symbol right it's like just a it's a loud noise but it doesn't accomplish anything and so he steps back from his discussion of spiritual gifts to say look there's something more important why does he do that because the Corinthians had spiritual gifts, right? The Corinthians love spiritual gifts. They are flowing in spiritual gifts. What they weren't flowing in was love. And so Paul says what you're walking in right now is immaturity. If you think these outward public gifts are more important than the way you treat each other, you've missed out on who the Holy Spirit really is, right? He doesn't say gifts don't matter. He doesn't say stop operating the gifts. He said keep flowing in the gifts, flowing them correctly, but let's get this love thing down. Let's learn to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to produce fruit in your life. So in this, he gives this amazing passage, especially verses 4 through 7 is the the really famous section about love. He closes it in verse 8. He starts off with love never fails. But now he's going to get back into his discussion of gifts. He says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. So Paul says the gift of prophecy will end. He says, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. So the gift of tongues will end. He says, where there is knowledge, when he's talking about knowledge, he's not talking about human knowledge. He's talking about the gift of of a word of knowledge, which he talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, which is a supernatural revelation that God gives someone about something that's going on in somebody's life. For example, I'll I'll illustrate this. When I was 15 years old, I felt called into ministry. I was seeking God. Hey, am I I supposed to be in ministry? And I was praying about it. Only one person in the world I confided in that, hey, this is something I'm even considering. One Sunday night at church, my pastor's wife walks up to me completely clueless of what's going on. And she says, Troy, God wants you to know the thing that you're praying about. He wants you to have it. Never before did she ever say anything to me like that. Never again did she ever say anything. She wasn't just one of those people who's walking around playing the God card, trying to look spiritual, right? 
Like she had a supernatural revelation, not even specifically of what I was praying about, but that I was praying about something very significant to my life. And she confirmed, God wants you to have this. And that was my confirmation. It was from that point forward, I knew I was going to be in full-time ministry. That was the call God had for me. It was a word of knowledge, right? So, So a word of knowledge is divine revelation that nobody else, you can't get it anywhere except from God. There's no other explanation for it. So Paul says, look, prophecy is going to cease. Tongues are going to be stilled. Man, even words of knowledge, they're going to end. They're not going on forever. It'll pass away. Verse 9, he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So he says, there's a day where we're not going to need these gifts. There's a day when, when something completion is going to happen. So if you believe that we're in the era where tongues, prophecy, knowledge have ceased, you, by implication, believe that, you're, believe that we're in the era of completeness. So what is the era of completeness? Well, Paul continues to discuss this, verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I put the ways of childhood behind me. So he's saying, look, there's an era of maturity in our faith that's coming when we're not going to need these spiritual gifts. Are we in that era? That's a really important question. Well, he continues to unpack this for us to help us understand what he's talking about. He says, for now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as... I am fully known. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about eternity. He's talking about heaven. He says, now I see God in a reflection. One day I'm going to see him face to face. All right, one, now, now I know some stuff. One day I'm going to know everything. All knowledge is going to be given to me when I'm with Jesus in eternity. So Paul's saying a day is coming when we don't need tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge. That day is going to come. He's saying that day is eternity. So the myth is that tongues have died now, that they're not needed now, that they went out with the apostles. The reality is we need this stuff just as much as they needed it 2,000 years ago. We're not in eternity yet. We don't see Jesus face to face yet. We don't know fully yet. That day will come but we're not in that day yet. And so these gifts are for today. So that's the first myth we have to address. Um, by the way, this is the only passage of scripture that suggests tongues would die out. There's nothing else anywhere in the New Testament that says, hey, this is not going to continue throughout the, the era of the church. The entire case that tongues would die out is, is built on this verse. Um, and then on the argument that tongues ceased to exist for a season. The reality is they did cease to exist for a season. There, there were a number of years where we don't have any record of believers speaking in tongues. However, we've got a lot of things in church history where things stopped that didn't necessarily mean that was God's will for those things to stop. If you study the Dark Ages, if you study the Middle Ages, you see a whole lot of stuff in church history that went way off track. Uh, that is not confirmation that this was God's will and God's plan. That is confirmation that people are really good at messing up. We are really good at missing the point. Uh, and so we see all kinds of other examples of this. That doesn't mean, hey, we invalidate those things. It means, hey, let's get back to what does the Bible teach us? See, I believe that the scripture is where we glean direction for the church, not simply from church history. 
Church history is important. I'm grateful for it, but it doesn't define for us what God wants. Myth number two, God takes control of you and speaks in tongues for you. This is an idea that I think a lot of people have if you've never spoken in tongues, never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, never walked in this. You got this impression that, hey, if somebody is speaking in tongues, this is just like the Holy Spirit grabbing your tongue and moving it around and, and producing all these sounds. And, and the reality is maybe less exciting than that. <laughs> um, like, it, it's not this spectacular, supernatural thing. What, what happens if you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you receive a language, um, we, we will talk about it a little bit more, uh, call it a prayer language, but you'll receive a language, a tongue, uh, that God will deposit in your spirit and that you have access to. And your mind chooses, I'm going to access that or I don't. So right now, if I wanted to, I could start speaking in tongues immediately, very, very easily. Uh, and in fact, I've already spoken in tongues this morning, quietly, under my breath. Most Sunday mornings, by the time I hit the stage, I've already spoken in tongues, because speaking in tongues edifies me, it builds me up. And before I stand on this stage and take the responsibility of breaking open God's word and, and speaking it to God's people, I want to be as built up as I possibly can. I want to be at the top of my game, right? Uh, and so, so I've done that, but I don't do it in a way that anybody hears me. I don't do it in a way that it becomes a distraction or a spectacle upon myself because that's not how Scripture teaches us to do it. Um, and so God doesn't grab your tongue and start moving it and making these crazy sounds. God deposits something in you, and now you have the ability to use it. So truth number two is that God places a tongue, which is a language, that's literally what tongue means, in you, and he gives you the control of it. So if you have a gift of tongues, you have the ability to use it anytime you want to or not. In fact, in, in Steve's small group on Thursday nights, we've been talking about the Sunday morning messages and got a number of people in there who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a number of people in there who haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about it and, and somebody even Thursday night talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit says, yeah, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit a number of years ago. Says, do I use it all the time? No. Right? Uh, there was somebody in there who said, look, I, I used my gift of tongues, um, and it, it went dormant for a long time. I neglected it for a long time to where I couldn't even do it anymore, and, and God reawakened that for him this week. Um, and so you, you're going to have the choice, do you use this thing or not? God places a tongue or a language in you, and he gives you control of it. So for some biblical evidence of this, not just my opinion, well, first of all, let me give you this. The word translated tongues is the Greek word glossa. Glossa literally means a tongue. It's, it's the thing that's in your mouth. Um, but by implication, it means a language, the same way that, that it does in Scripture. Glossa, you're probably familiar with a, a word that we get from it, glossary. Right? So a glossary, a list of words and definitions, that's a glossa. And so, uh, or comes from glossa. So God doesn't just grab your tongue. He puts something in you that you have the ability to use or not. 1 Corinthians 14, in the context of talking about the church, Paul's talking about, hey, when you come to church, at the most, two or three people should give a word in tongues, but only if there's somebody to interpret it. At the most, two or three people should give a word in prophecy. Uh, and then he says this, verse 32, he says, because the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So God gives you a spiritual gift. 
He gives you control of that spiritual gift. Am I going to use this or am I not? He gives you the ability to discern when do I use it or not. So I grew up, as, as you've heard, in, in some very, very Holy Spirit-centric churches. Had some incredible experiences, some things that I'm very grateful for. Saw some stuff that was very not biblical also. Uh, one of the things that, that those churches, I think, miss God in is, man, when, when God starts to move, when there's a heaviness in worship, man, when, you, when you're sensing God's presence, a lot of people are going to start speaking in tongues out loud, loudly, uh, with no interpretation. Uh, and, and I get it. Because I understand, man, when I feel the Spirit of God moving, man, when I sense God's presence, there's something. You, you want to start praying in tongues. You want to access that gift. Um, but I think, number one, I know it's not biblical. Uh, biblically, we don't speak in tongues in a public setting unless there's an interpreter, especially if there's unbelievers present, which for a Sunday morning service like this, we want unbelievers to be present, right? We're inviting people who don't know Jesus. And so he says, look, if an unbeliever walks in and everybody's speaking in tongues, he's going to think you're mad. He's going to think you lost your mind. And I get it because, man, going to those churches, I loved my church. I wasn't taking anybody to Sunday morning service. Uh, like, I just, I, I've been a, man, bring people to church. That's just in my DNA most of my life. But I was bringing them to, like, Wednesday night. I wasn't taking them to Sunday morning because Sunday morning was crazy. Right? I loved it. I enjoyed it. But I knew, man, I'm not getting associated with all that. Uh, and, and so I think we... We miss it. I think they're well-meaning. I don't think it's demonic. I don't think it's even rebellious. I think it's just flesh. They just miss it, man. That Honestly, the, thing when I, the, the point where I need to build myself up the most isn't really when I'm the strongest. It's, it's when I'm at the weakest, right? And so it shouldn't just be that, hey, I use my tongue when the Spirit of God's moving. And, and when, man, I'm in this great worship experience, I should be using my tongue when, when I'm tempted, should be using my tongue when, I, when I'm discouraged, when, when I'm empty, like Pastor Braden and Hunter talked about, when I, when I need rest, right? Those are the times when I really need to take advantage of this thing that's been given to me to edify myself, to build myself up. But my, my spirit, that spiritual gift is, is subject to my control. I have the ability to turn it off or turn it on. God places it in me. Third myth is that speaking in tongues is only to talk to people. Speaking in tongues is only for us to talk to people. The truth is, 3A, tongues can be used to speak to people or to speak to God. So here's the, the argument that usually comes out is that, hey, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, God gave them languages, baptized them in the Holy Spirit. And I know if you weren't here for the last couple of weeks, you may be totally lost. What are we even talking about? I, I apologize if that's the case. Go back and check the last couple of podcasts. I promise you it'll make more sense because we're going to unpack it in scripture there. But just for time's sake today, to pick up where we left off, um, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, fills 120 Christians uh, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they spill out into the streets speaking these languages that they don't know, but they're earthly languages. There are people there who do know them, the people who've come to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and they hear all these people, these Galileans, these uneducated, like these were Israelite regnecks, right? These were the people who, who didn't know anything, uh, and they're like, how do these people know our language? How, how are they speaking Arabic, how are they speaking Phoenician? How are they speaking all these different languages? Well, they did it, obviously, by the power of the, the Spirit of God. So they spoke earthly languages. So the argument is that, hey, is this, the gift of tongues is just 
So somebody who you can't communicate with can understand what you're saying, that God can supernaturally do that. And God does. There are modern stories of this happening where a missionary is, is praying in tongues and somehow somebody is in their midst who, who traveled a long way and that person speaks the language that the missionary is speaking and they hear about Jesus and they come to Christ. So this does happen. It's not the primary usage of the gift of tongues. First uh, Corinthians 14, Paul says this. He says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. So, so he's not saying nobody ever speaks to people in using a tongue. He's just saying the primary usage of tongues isn't to talk to other people. It's to talk to God. And said, he says, indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So why would I pray in tongues? Why would I talk to God in tongues if I don't even know what I'm saying? Well, here's why. Because I don't know what my first grade son is going to face at school tomorrow, but God does. And so if I utter mysteries by my spirit, I have the opportunity to intercede over my son's day at school and cover something that he's going to face. Maybe there's going to be a lie from the enemy. Maybe he's going to get picked on. Maybe he's going to get discouraged. Maybe there's going to be an accident, right? I don't know any of those things that are coming, but God does. And he gives me the ability through praying in tongues to utter mysteries by my spirit, to pray for my son or my daughter or my baby. And man, that kid can get into all kinds of stuff. He needs a lot of prayer, right? Like, like he gives me the ability to pray his perfect will over my family, over our church, over my life. I don't know what I'm praying. I don't know what needs to be interceded for, but God does. And so I tap into that gift and he utters mysteries. He speaks things out and in, in, in prayer that cover whatever it is that needs to be prayed. Now we know through other places in 1 Corinthians 14, a lot of what happens when you pray in tongues is you're just worshiping God. So, so once, and we didn't put this on the screen, but one other thing that sometimes gets people confused is, man, when, when I pray in tongues, I, I hear like a lot of the same stuff over and over. I feel like I don't have like a lot of a big language. I don't have a lot to, to say. Well, when we're worshiping God, there's a lot of themes that keep kind of pop back up, right? Where you're worshiping him for his faithfulness, where you're saying his name, you're saying you love him, right? You're declaring your, your commitment to him. And so it makes sense that in worship, we'd be repeating some of the same ideas, some of the same themes. Um, so the myth, we said, is speaking in tongues is uh, a heavenly, or is only to talk to people. The reality is it can be used to speak to people or to gods. So then the, to God, the next myth, the sub-myth here, is that speaking in tongues is an angelic language. So some people think it's only to speak to, to people. Then you'll hear people and they'll, they'll say, man, it's, it's my heavenly language. I don't know if you've heard this. Depends on kind of your church background. But some people are going to call their, their praying in tongues their heavenly language. Um, and that's a possibility, but it's not for sure. So truth 3B is speaking in tongues could be a human language or it could be a heavenly language. The reality is you're not going to know. You receive a prayer language, you're not going to know where this language is from. Is this, it, it could be an extinct language. It could be from some tribe that doesn't exist anymore. It could be some future language that nobody else has even spoken yet. It could be an angelic language. It could be an earthly language. Like God can give you whatever language he wants. The reality is God has access to every language there ever was and every language there ever will be. And he's going to give you one. We don't know which one it is. He's going to give you one if you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So 1 Corinthians 13 says this. Verse 1, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men 
or of angels. And that's the idea where this heavenly language, this angelic language, uh, he says, but if I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, right? So he says, if, if all I'm doing is making noise, but it's not backed up by love, then none of it matters. All of it is a waste of time. It's, it's a bunch of noise that has no impact. But that's the statement, the only statement we have in Scripture that suggests that speaking in tongues might be an angelic language or a heavenly language. But he didn't say this is an angelic language. He just said, even if I did speak in an angelic language. The reality is, it doesn't matter, right? God's going to give you a language, and it doesn't matter where that language is from. If it's an earthly language, if it's an active language, if it's a dormant language, if it's a future language, if it's a heavenly language, don't worry about all that. Here's what you need to know. You got access to talk directly between you and God, right? He gives you the ability to pray out his perfect will. Don't, don't get caught up in, in trying to discern. I've got caught up in that sometimes. Like to me, my prayer language sounds like some sort of like an Asian tongue, some sort of Asian dialect. It's sometimes like trying to figure out where this could this be from. And I never nailed it down. And it really doesn't matter, right? What is it? It's, it's a chance for me to talk to God. It's a chance for God to pray his perfect will through me. So don't get so hung up on that. Last myth we're going to cover today, myth number four, is that there is one gift of speaking in tongues. Some will define that gift as the gift from 1 Corinthians 12, where we have speaking in tongues. Somebody gives a word in tongues, and somebody else interprets that word, and that's the only thing that tongues should be used for. Some people would use, say that one gift of speaking in tongues is what we saw in Acts chapter 2, where God gives human language to someone that doesn't understand that human language, but allows them to communicate something to someone to, to declare the goodness of God. Um, the reality is there is more than one gift of tongues laid out in Scripture. Uh, truth for is this. There are at least two gifts of tongues. There is a public gift and a private gift. There's a public gift of tongues and a private gift of tongues. The public gift of tongues can be both what we just talked about. It can be that, that earthly language that you are communicating without realizing it to somebody else and declaring God, the goodness of God, and it's a sign for them, and it, it man, encourages them that, wow, God spoke through you to me. It can be speaking in tongues in a church gathering, giving essentially what you're doing is you're prophesying in tongues, you're giving a word from God in tongues that someone else is going to have the interpretation for, and they're going to stand up and give that interpretation, and those two things combined essentially equal one prophecy. It's a way that, that God moves um, in, in his churches. So that's the public gift of tongues, but the private gift of tongues is the more common usage of tongues, and it's the one that we're focused on right now. Next week, we'll talk more about the public gift. Uh, so let me break this down for you. 1 Corinthians 14, we've talked from there a lot, starting in verse 4. Paul says this. He says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Edify literally means to build up. So, so the person who speaks in tongues edifies themselves. If you speak in tongues, you get stronger. It's one of my absolute favorite things about it. He says, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Why? Because the person who speaks in tongues says something nobody else understands. The person who prophesies is speaking directly from God for the church for everyone to understand it. He says, I'd like for every one of you to speak in tongues. I also would like, I will agree with Paul on this, man, I would love for, for all of us to speak in tongues. But he says, but I'd even rather have you all prophesy. 
Because if you all get the gift of prophecy, if you all pursue the gift of prophecy and learn to harness the gift of prophecy, man, you're going to be speaking into each other's lives. Man, you're going to be encouraging each other and building each other up, not just building yourself up. He says the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So in other words, when there's interpretation, it's equal to prophecy. So that the church may be edified. Why is he saying all this? Because again, the church at Corinth is coming together to worship and then they get into tongues competitions. Who can speak in tongues the most? Who can speak in tongues the loudest? Who can draw the most attention to themselves, right? They just get going. Man, I've got this gift, and I want everybody to know I've got it. I want to show off this gift. And look, I get it, right? If God does something supernatural in you, you don't want to hold that to yourself. So I understand, but that doesn't mean it's right. It's not the way that God has ordained for it to happen. God's word teaches us very clearly, very specifically, there is an order to using the gift of tongues. Doesn't mean you can't ever use the gift of tongues when you are in a church setting, but it means that you need to discern there is an interpreter who is going to, to be able to interpret this and, and bring this prophecy to the people. Or if it's not a public utterance, if it's not something designed to be a prophecy, it's just my personal prayer language, that's between me and God. And I need to Talk to God. doesn't mean you can't ever use that prayer language out loud, um, but it means you don't need to be using it out loud in a way that other people are focused on your prayer language rather than worshiping Jesus. Right? And, and so this is where there's always a ditch on both sides. Right? Paul says specifically, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And we got a lot of churches that forbid speaking in tongues. And they miss out on something incredible that God has for his people. But he also says, don't get together and use this thing out of order. And we got a whole lot of churches that get together and use it out of order. And we've got to pursue, what does the word of God have to say about this? Man, I want what God wants, not what my own personal flesh wants, not what feels the best to me. I want to do this the way that God has ordained for it to be done. Why? Because that's where the power is. Right? If I use this outside of the way that he's ordained for it to be used, it loses its power. It loses its impact. It becomes a clanging gong, right? A, a resounding symbol. It becomes a whole bunch of noise signifying nothing, to roughly reference William Shakespeare. Uh, right? Like, like it loses its power. And so we've got to pursue it the way that God has ordained for it to be used. So the, the truth is there's two gifts of tongues, a public gift and a private gift. When we offer the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight at our worship night, we're going to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to believe that God's going to give you a prayer language. Now remember, the prayer language is not the most important part. The most important part is the power to witness. It's just the prayer language is the initial part. It's the part that you see. It's the part that, that's easy to identify that you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you're accessing this prayer language. Now, I'll warn you ahead of time. We saw last week in the book of Luke, the Bible says that if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened. He's talking specifically about how much more, if you can give good gifts, will the Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So he's talking about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people ask and they receive and it's boom, quickly. Sometimes people have to seek in order to find. Sometimes people got to keep on knocking. 
right? And, and I can't even tell you all the reasons why it works differently in different people's lives. I know it has something to do with we've each got different experiences and different hangups and different things that we've been through that we're, we've seen this done poorly. We've seen this abused. And so it, I think a lot of it just centers on like our own brain and what's going around in here. Um, because usually kids receive a lot quicker than, than the older you are, usually the longer it takes, because we just got more <laughs> that we're go- we've gone through, right? We got more that, that we- baggage we bring to the table. Um, but Jesus told us this. He said, ask, you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. And say, the, knock's- the door's immediately going to be open. Just keep knocking. And so some of you tonight, I believe, will receive a prayer language. I believe some people we're going to lay hands on for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you decide to take that step, again, you don't have to do this to come to the worship night. You can just come and worship. So please don't be like, nope, I am staying far, far away from that worship night. Uh, I don't want this. We're not forcing anything on you. If you say, hey, I want to take this step, and you come to the worship night tonight, we're going to have a team that's going to pray with you. And we're believing you're going to receive that prayer language. It might be today. It might be this week. It might be next month. Right? Sometimes those things happen quicker than others. Don't worry about the speed. What's important is, God, I want what you have for me. God, I want your best. And then once you do receive it or learn how to access it, you've been given that and you can walk in it, use it. But use it right. right? Use it in the way that God's ordained for us to use it. Man, to, to speak mysteries, to talk directly to God. What a beautiful thing. What a powerful thing. Now, God may also give you... Some other, some public gifts, right? We'll talk about the nine public gifts next week. Uh, and if those happen, man, come talk to us and we'll figure out how to fit those into the church context. Like we are, we are pro the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want God's gifts to operate in God's church. We just want to make sure that they're operated correctly, properly, uh, in, a, in a way that brings glory to Jesus and not distraction to God's people. Make sense? 